Hi, everyone. Feminist Hot Dog here. Just popping in to say thank you so much for listening. The response to the podcast has been awesome, and we really want to keep it going and keep it growing. So if you dig the show and you want to support Feminist Hot Dog, please do two things. Download the episodes and leave us a quick review telling us what you like about it. That's going to help us show up in the rankings, which is super helpful for getting more listeners. So we've had a lot of fun and we are looking forward to some inspiring guests in 2019 and even looking at possibly doing some merch. So stay tuned, keep listening, give us a download, give us a rating, and most importantly, love yourself and love your buns. Here's the show. Please don't go, I need you so I... Okay. Oh, that's not too close. No, it's perfect. It's perfect, just like you. Well, thank you. I mean, I want to start this podcast off on a really positive note by telling you, A, how glad I am that you're here. Yeah. We are recording. We've been, yes, we've been recording for about three minutes now. Okay, so we're going to have to edit that other part out. What's up, y'all? Woo! How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Feminist Hot Dog, Davina. Well, thank you so much. I am happy to be here. I'm so happy that you're here too, drinking this delicious coffee, hanging out with Frida the Wonder Dog, who's in love with you. I'm in love with Frida. I mean, I'm feeling a little left out, to be honest. We're going to run away together. <sighs> we might. Let's get married, Frida. We, we can do that now. <laughs> Holla. What's up? We might need to talk about this. I feel like Frida's loyalty is seriously divided right now. Sweet. Um, well, I really appreciate you coming in. This is Feminist Hot Dog, the news, humor, and cultural survival podcast by, for, and about women. Woo-hoo. And I'm here with one of my favorite women, Davina, who is an extraordinary human being and a super talented chef and we're going to learn all about her extraordinariness and her chefness today and um, talk about some feminist shit awesome let's do it let's do it um so davina um <coughs> when me. i first moved to this town i heard about you before i ever met you because everybody would talk about a how great you are and b how amazing your food was slash is and then I think I was at somebody's house at one point and eating it was like at a party or something and I was like oh my god who made this food it's fucking delicious and they said oh that's Davina Davina made that food and I was like okay this is all coming together now I really need to meet this person and um and here we are all these years later I appreciate that um I I'm really at a loss for words, but when I become the center of attention, it makes me a little bit uh, nervous. When someone sticks a giant microphone in your face, like I just The did. microphone is pretty large, but um, <laughs> yeah, but um, I appreciate that. Um, I am originally from Seattle, Washington, so um, I think sometimes when people taste the food, they taste a little bit of my Seattle up in there. Mm-hmm. So I love to throw ginger, fresh garlic, scallions, um, soy sauce and anything tomorrow for my gluten free brothers and sisters. Um, so I think people taste that. Mm-hmm. I also think that they um, uh I love being in the kitchen. I'm generally in the kitchen for at least 12 hours a day. Having said that, in 12 hours, I get a lot of cooking done. So I think the other thing that they taste is like food, thoughtful food, um, but we keep it really fresh. So 
um, a lot of the food that we make has not been braising for hours and hours, some things, but I think what people also taste is the freshness. I think one thing that I realized that I liked when I moved to the South was um, I do like things that have been braised for a long time, mm-hmm. and gravy is pretty delicious. It's so, um I believe what they're tasting is something that's just a little bit, um, just a juxtaposition from what they're used to eating. And so tell me a little bit about your journey to chef Were you always um, interested in cooking as a younger person, or is this something that you just decided to get trained in as an adult, or what was your story? I was always interested in cooking as a younger person. Um, I did not grow up, I've thought about this a lot, especially since... Um, my mother passed, my grandmother, and also my sister, and uh, excuse my grandfather who cooked a lot. And um, I've thought about this. People say, well, how did you start cooking? And once those people were no longer in my lives, um, I started realizing how much they influenced the way that I cooked. So my mother didn't, she thought it was perfectly acceptable, which it absolutely was, to like serve a turkey and Swiss sandwich. And she was like, dinner's up. Like, <laughs> I was like, okay, Rachel Ray ain't got nothing on my mama, okay? You're talking about 30-minute meals? These are 30-second meals. And so, but what that made me appreciate is it's not about the t- necessarily the amount of time that you put into the meal. It's really just about having good food, good, thoughtful, simple food. Um, So I used to always think that I didn't learn a lot about cooking from my mother, but I learned that um, oftentimes it's really about breaking bread Mm -hmm. and the quality of the ingredients. Um, So my grandfather cooked in the Navy, and and he also was born in Portugal before he immigrated to the United States. And so they were... Um, they didn't have a lot of money, so he would always grind his own meat because it was cheaper just to do it that way. And um, he would always make his pasta sauces from scratch. And uh, so those are things that I just took for granted. Mm. I just thought that that's what you did when you made a red sauce, that you cooked down your tomatoes, you peeled them. Um, so I really appreciate that. And then my sister um, dated a lot of different types of people, um, you know, different ages, uh, different races and ethnicities. And that really influenced her cooking. So I just remember going over to her house one day and we had ceviche. And I think I was like, mm. I was maybe 17. She was in her early 20s. Um, and she was dating this man from Oaxaca, who was my niece's um, father. And I was like, y'all, this is delicious, you know? Ceviche is so good. And so she would make ceviche, and then she ended up marrying um, a gentleman from Louisiana, and I believe it's not like Charles, Um, Louisiana. And so so then her red beans and rice were delicious. She knew how to make that, and then just being in Seattle, like her clam chowder. So she was always, she liked to eat all different types of food, um, so that influenced her cooking. And um, and then also being in Seattle, it's such a diverse environment. Uh, we're eating all different types of food. Um, so that definitely had an influence on the way that I cook, the way that I eat, um, and then the way that I cook. That was a very long-winded version. No, it was a super interesting version. Well, thank you. Um, so, and we were talking a little bit about this earlier, but so this being feminist hot dog and all, one of the things that I'm always interested in hearing from my guests is, 
as a woman in the culinary field, what are some of the ways that your femaleness is kind of reflected back to you um, when you kind of move through the world as a chef and, you know, for better or for worse, what, what are some of your thoughts about being a woman in the culinary world? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> Why, thank you. Which me saying that that's a great question bought me, you know, like 15 seconds. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so there's a lot that I think about it. Um, but oftentimes just when I'm going through the day, going through my day, I'm just going through my day. Um, I become more aware of it. I think once I've left the kitchen, I'm dealing with other folks. You, We have a ton of chefs in Seattle that are fabulous, excuse me, in Montgomery that are female um, and I just wish that we heard more about them. Um, and I, I don't want to say their names because I feel like I'm going to forget some, but I really want to say their names because I want you to know about them. Um, there's Chef Janet at D-Road, uh, Missy Mercer, Tomatino's Cafe Luisa, Jenny Weller of Jenny Weller Catering, um, Chef Melissa of Island Delight. Um, she also has a sous chef there, Chef Cherry. Uh, Mrs. B's from Mrs. B's um, Kitchen, um, or is it Mrs. B's? Uh, Mrs. B's um, off of Maxwell. Um, all of these women are killing it. Um, they're killing it while you know raising their families and owning and operating these businesses. So, um, and I hope I did not. I, I'm sure I missed someone because, um, but blame it on my mind and not on my heart. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I have to say, all of these women I've had. I've had the pleasure of having pretty in-depth conversations with, and the first thing that I can tell you about them is that they have always been um, very helpful, uh, gracious, hardworking. Um, I think when we talk about feminism, we oftentimes we talk about the um, microaggressions that women face, and that is every day. Um, I don't even know if this is a word, but I like to talk about microaffirmations. Um, whenever that. I'm dealing with with women, um, whether they're in the same industry as me or not, whether um, it's someone who called and said, hey, would you cater a holiday party? These are microaffirmations. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes people may not feel like they're a feminist, but there are these small acts that people demonstrate every single day that where they're really saying, Woman, I got your back. And I think people are conscious of it. Um, And there are going to be some people who want to wear a T-shirt. I might be one of those that say, I'm a fucking feminist. But then there are also people who are going to support you and do things that are absolutely, you know, show that they're feminist. Um, You just have to meet people where they are. And people Mm -hmm. do that in different ways. So... Um, yeah, I think that's a micro affirmation. I don't, um, just for the record, I coined that. And if it's already, <laughs> if it's already been coined, then I want to give props to whoever coined it. And thank you very much. Cause maybe I read it somewhere. Okay. But if that didn't happen, then give me my prop show. I'm sure someone will immediately call, <laughs> call you out on Twitter. And like, actually, I, oh my gosh, are we going to be on Twitter? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Famous. <laughs> Almost famous. Another thing about chefs who are women, Oftentimes, I feel like people, since women have primarily been responsible for preparing food in the home, um, sometimes I don't think people always realize that this is like a profession that someone chose. Sometimes I think that people just feel like, oh, well, you know, I made a great squash casserole, so I decided to, you know, do that for a living. 
yes, sometimes that happens, but also um, the women that I mentioned and tons of women out there have made a decision, this is going to be a profession. Um, I believe that when, oftentimes when men make the decisions, just like, oh, that's great, you made this decision to become a, a chef, and oftentimes this profession chooses you, you don't necessarily uh, choose it. But oftentimes I think that women are discounted because um, we are responsible for preparing food for our families. And it just seems like it would just be something that's natural. This is a lot of hard work. Um, we, we do strategic planning, <laughs> you know, for, for quarters and forecast for our years. Um, this is forecast for the year. But this is a profession that we choose. We take it seriously. Um, and we're killing it. And we are at the head of a lot of kitchens and organizations. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Is there pleasure. anything else that you'd like to say on the topic before right. we move on? I'm sure. And I'll just have to come back to it. Just, I'm just so youthful that sometimes I forget. <laughs> I have so many youthful <laughs> thoughts in my brain that I'll just have to come back to those things. Well, we will overlook any youthful interruptions that you need to make <laughs> throughout the rest of the episode. Thank you so much. Yeah. As I sip my Geritol martini. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, um, are you ready to talk about what made made your feminist heart sing this week? I feel like, and I don't know how to put this in here, I draw strength from women hourly. So it's kind of hard to, like, articulate that. Like one thing. Um, um, If you were to take a poll, I think that you would have, you take a poll of women, I think, like, 90% of sisters, A.H., not ERs, are going to be like, yeah, I'm a feminist, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I think that a lot of people like to put labels on things, um, and academics like to put labels on things, but I feel like there's there's just these small things that people do. Or um, I saw someone at a wedding, and we had catered something, and she was like, Oh, that food was amazing. And then she said that it had, it had reminded her of this chicken spaghetti that her grandmother used to make. Well, it was chicken cacciatore. So when we're creating menus, we're just like, oh, this is chicken cacciatore. But you know what? It's chicken, chicken spaghetti. spaghetti. You know? <laughs> and I was like, that's right. Because that was probably your grandmama's chicken spaghetti. Um, so what made my feminist heart sing about that was that sharing her eating that meal and sharing, you know, that meal with her made her think about her grandmother. Like, um, that was just beautiful. Last night I was kind of like, oh, I had an idea of what I wanted to talk about, but I didn't, I was like, I'm not sure if that's really what I want to talk about. And so I did what I often do when I'm procrastinating, preparing for the show or anything else is which I got on social media and I hopped onto Twitter and there was a post from a woman that I follow called she goes by the feminist next door and the post said it's Saturday night and that means it's time for vagina Twitter with your friendly feminists uh downy angel restaurant mom and and her feminist next door So what's vagina Twitter, you might you may ask. Imagine winning the lottery, only it's a Twitter thread about vaginas. (laughs) Owners and appreciators. What's your favorite thing about the V? So I was like, I didn't know that vagina Twitter was a thing, but apparently it is on Saturday nights if you follow any of these people. 
Um, I love that she said owners and appreciators. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Why do this? She says. So my feminist heart already had already started singing because I was like, wow. Um, I can't really remember the last time I had to talk about my vagina or anyone else's vagina. It's, I mean, I have, but not in a long time. Um, so why do this? Because society treats vaginas, even the mention of one, as taboo. Children are taught weird substitute names, and men assign a wide range of pet names with varying degrees of positive and negative connotation. I think women uh, do that also. I do. I have a pet name for my vagina. Do you? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you don't have to share it if you don't want to, but if you it's want to. It's the divina vagina. Oh, my God. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. I love it. Um she goes on to say, this is a whole Twitter thread, vaginas are love-giving, life-giving, and essential for humanity. This is a weekly opportunity for women and men to talk all things V, ask questions, share stories, and express your vagina appreciation. Don't want to talk about vaginas? No problem. Twitter is a big place. <laughs> <laughs> so. I like that. Yeah, I really do like the um, the people who have the vagina, vagina and also the appreciators because a lot mm-hmm. of people appreciate vaginas as well they should yeah and if they don't they might want to think about why because i think there may be some negative socialization absolutely going on there um so yeah so this this thread begins and all kinds of women weigh in um and and some men as well um there were there were women who had new vaginas trans women who were like oh my god i have a vagina so that was that was great awesome um lots of talk about many different kinds of orgasms some women's health discussion, ways that women have found to feel good about how their vaginas look, which I think is a big deal. There's a couple different mentions of like vagina galleries online where you can go and be like, oh, okay, so there's like a lot of different, a lot of different models. Yeah, there was an exhibit a, a few years ago. Is that the one that they showed in black and white? It's beautiful. It was stunning. This one, it, this one was like. Um, uh, pencil like um colored pencil drawings okay but um was it was yours when you're talking about a photography exhibit i believe so oh yeah. that'd be cool too i think or maybe i just had an awesome dream about it and was- <laughs> <laughs> your dreams are better than mine <laughs> um well yeah so vagina galleries hell yeah and also um sex toy recommendations which is why i was researching vibrators online when you got here this morning (laughs) you were um my mother is no longer with us um so she uh hopefully will be okay with me telling the story um on one of my first trips back from uh uh Amsterdam I come home and I had I brought back this vibrator um and it was it was a large vibrator I was still a teenager was it one of the ones that has like the big like ball head um I can't it it was maybe it was more no there was quite a bit of girth and like Mm. it was long and I was like hey mom look what I got for you and she's like Dina. <laughs> and um, so at the time, I just thought the bigger was better. And I was like, this is a huge vibrator. Of course, mm-hmm. it's going to be awesome. And she was just like, I can't believe that they let you through customs with that. And I'm like, yeah, it's not a gun. It's a, it's a vibrator. And I was like, well, if you don't like it, I can take it back. She was like, no, no, no. I think we can find a use for this. <laughs> no, my child, I accept your gift. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's fantastic. Uh, there actually was some discussion about vibrators being 
searched at um, by TSA in the in the vagina appreciation Twitter feed, which um, I thought was hilarious. So anyway, um, vagina Twitter, it's a thing. Saturday nights. I don't know how long it's been going on. I only saw two instances, but it could have been that the previous instances had been removed. But um, yeah, worth your time on a Saturday night or worth your time on a Sunday morning to go back and revisit. Like when I leave here. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Hashtag uh, vagina Twitter. So, all right. Any more feminist heart singing you want to do before we move on? Um, There is. um, I also want to say... One thing that I love about my job, um, it's hard work. Don't get me wrong. But um, I also get to, it's a lot of fun. And I'm constantly thinking about the, uh, the women, especially the black women, who have been making food for folks, especially in this region, for literally hundreds of years, um, paid or with, with, for very little pay or no pay at all so i'm i'm always thinking about um i'm always thinking about that and uh just just the foundation that they laid for me and um so i just want you to know like those calluses and those those aching feet and those sore backs um i think about that i think about you whenever i'm preparing food and your spirit is definitely with me when i'm preparing that food and so if, if I receive a compliment, that compliment is also for y'all. For the ages. Absolutely. I love it. When we talk about food, I just think that, uh, so when we talked about just women in the profession, but I also just, I also can't, sometimes it's hard to talk about um, feminism without speaking about classism as mm-hmm. well. And I just think that in many ways we've, food and the people who pr- prepared it's just become very elitist so I think when I was talking about the women that I think about when I'm preparing food um if I'm making coco ven or beef bourguignon um you know a lot of it is just how you're going to brand yourself because at the end of the day is it any different from you know grandma's roasted chicken Mm -hmm. and um beef stew Chicken and spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> or if I call my chicken cacciatore, mm-hmm. you know, uh, chicken spaghetti. So um, I just think it, we just need to be mindful, um, meeting people where they are, and appreciating uh, the food that all different types of people bring, um, different races, ethnicities, um, and different socioeconomic groups. It is People think that it's so cool now to eat pork belly and collard greens. <laughs> We've been eating pork belly and collard greens for a long time mm. just because someone p- pairs it with a blackberry gastrique does not make it does not mean that it's not the food um you know of folks who people were making this food a long time before that and um, i think there's this perception that like oh well now we're making this like fancy modern version of it that's so much better than it used to be and that's yeah. bullshit it's uh, it's complete bullshit um also um oh tonight we're going to have you know heirloom rattlesnake beans you know well yeah that's great but guess what there are folks you know my family is from barber county Um, my partner's family is from bullet county there are a lot of people in those counties who are still eating you know mr french's heirloom rattlesnake beans um there are a lot of people who have been doing organic gardening for for years for centuries and yeah it might be cool to get into your um 
I won't name the SUV, but whatever SUV, and go to Whole Foods and get, you know, this fabulous produce. But a lot of people are eating fabulous produce right out of their backyards, mm. um, not just because it's trendy, not just because they read that they should do that in the New York Times, but that's the way that they've always done it. And they know that it makes them feel better. They know that it's the most delicious on the planet. Um, and that's what I have to say about that. So um, <laughs> I just want to throw it out there. And, and coming from a place, I mean, I love my hometown, Seattle. Um, but moving to the South just really made me uh, realize, um, you know, you have deliciousness everywhere. And uh, we need to celebrate all deliciousness. And don't be afraid of it. And don't be afraid of it, y'all. Don't even get me started. I'll get started. I, I love shopping at Whole Foods. It makes me want to prepare a meal. It makes me feel fabulous. Um, but you can still create, you not but, you can create a fabulous meal at Winn-Dixie. But also, what are we saying to the people who don't have access to even make it across town to shop at Whole Foods? Mm -hmm. Are we saying that their food experience is not going to be as good? Absolutely not. And I was at... Um, I was at Whole Foods yesterday, and I was looking for some um, for some collard greens. Those collards look like romaine, mm. heads of romaine, okay? Sad, sad now, I collars. went to the Winn-Dixie on um, Carter Hill because I had to get my collards for the new year. Those collards were amazing. I, I thought that the produce manager said that they come from, I, I probably shouldn't say this if I don't know, but I thought he may have said Hook's Farm in in shorter i'm mm -hmm. not sure which is 20 but, miles away yeah so i mean here you have local beautiful um produce um but it's gorgeous so and it's a mile and a half from it's a mile from where we're seated today in the lovely studios mm -hmm. here um so I think sometimes we just pump ourselves up to believe that I'm going to make this fabulous meal. It's my anniversary dinner, and I'm going to go. To, I'm going to drive, you know, seven miles to go to Whole Foods. Again, I love it. I drink that Whole Foods Kool Aid, and I love being there. Um, you can also find perfectly delicious, good quality, organic, if that's what you choose, food at your local grocery store. Also, it's important to support your local grocery stores because we want them to always be there. Um, Piggly Wiggly on Fairview, again, they have fantastic collards. They have these beautiful Vidalia onions that were out of Macon County. Um, so, and also I think it's important, I know it's important to make sure that we spend money in these places so mm -hmm. that people continue to have a grocery store in the area. Yes. There's nothing like the grocery store being gone and they're just like, oh gosh, I should have gone. Well, should have, would have, could have, let's, let's do it. Because now your only options for buying onions are like... The gas station that maybe has like a little tiny box of produce in the corner. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I sign on to that 100%. I also have drank the Whole Foods Kool-Aid to an extent, but then sometimes I go there and I just feel like, oh my God, like I feel overwhelmed. I get sad when I see my receipt because I spent all this money and often I just spend it on snacks because they have a lot of good snacks. And I didn't actually buy any like food, yeah. you know? So that's not great either. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we can't all be Davinas who make everything from scratch. Oh, I have a bucket full of pretzel chips and <laughs> six different types of hummus. If you have multiple packages of hummus, it just, is that hummus? <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, we are going to talk about the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. All right. All right. Let's do it. Um, mine is, this is a, a, a woman who was born in 1833. So she's not a modern woman, but she's someone that I read about recently and was like, okay. I, she sounds... I'm not saying that she probably maybe on some level wasn't problematic because 1833, good chance that she was on some level. However, I, you just don't think about the um, people being as like super radical in the 1800s, or at least I don't. And so I really appreciated her story because it just reminded me, particularly in, the, in this time, time period that we're living in right now with the current administration, blah, 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 that um, there, you know, we, there's a lot of history of resistance and radicalism that we never, ever hear about. And that it's important to sort of recognize that um, even though it feels kind of scary or hard now to, to speak up and speak out and want to, you know, move our country and move our lives and you know in a different direction than what is currently happening that people have been doing this under way worse circumstances for centuries and um you know and at great great consequences to themselves so this is this is an example of that so this woman's name is Elizabeth Walstonholm <laughs> Elmy hyphenated um, not, not very common to hyphenate your last name in the 1800s. So, um, like I said, she was born in 1833. She was an advocate of free love in the 1800s. She was also a pacifist and a secularist, which might have been the most scandalous thing about her at the time, actually, and caused her uh, the most problems. Um, and a Victorian feminist, um, which well, was white, white feminist, who was extremely active in the women's suffrage movement in England, but she has been largely erased from the history books for a couple of reasons. Um, primarily due to her forthright nature, she was quite critical of many of her fellow feminists at the time. Um, and also there was a scandal surrounding her pregnancy, quote-unquote, out of wedlock, which is a term that I just think is ridiculous, but that's the parlance of the day. Um, so she had a partner, a, long, a long-term life partner who was a man, and they had a baby, but they were not married because they just didn't believe in the institution of marriage, which in the mid-1800s was like, what? Oh, my God. Yeah. Like just completely um, not done. Um, but they did hyphenate their names. She was a rebel from the very beginning of her life. She, so her father um, was a minister, and he forbid her to per, to pursue formal education beyond basically what he thought she needed. Um, but she taught herself. She knew that she wanted to be more educated than that, and so she did a lot of reading. She did a lot of studying. Um, and when she was 17, she was in a she was a bridesmaid in a wedding and sort of had this like epiphany at that moment that marriage was like a trap for women, that you were giving away your name, um, you were giving away your identity, that you were essentially, you know, all of your decisions were now in the hands of your husband. 
And she was like, fuck this. I'm never doing that. And which she is, sounds like she was born in 1994. I know. <laughs> That's what just has really impressed me about this story. So, so one of the things I love about her and why she didn't get written about a lot, as I said, was that she was very critical of any contingent of the suffrage movement that wasn't advocating for full equality. So she was not down with people who just gave their name to the movement, but didn't sacrifice or walk the walk. So, which is also something I think we can relate to in this day and age. Yeah. See a lot of clicktivism, see a lot of um, people who might, you know, put a Black Lives Matter sign in their yard, but then like when it comes to actually handling their own internal racism or anti-black prejudice are like, no, I think I'm good with white supremacy actually. Um, and she, um, let's see. Oh, she, so she was alienated for this um and she was i think another thing that sort of resonates with today is you know she's an activist who was being accused of being too militant because she was unapologetic about insisting on full emancipation and freedom and equity and she was particularly outspoken on the topic of marital rape and that was a big deal to her because she felt like this was something that um again you know she was had kind of had this waking up in the matrix moment about marriage as a young woman. And that was one of the things that she knew um, was, was really kind of an epidemic. So she was also a teacher. So holler to teachers and was the first woman to testify before the Royal Commission on Education, um, but eventually left education once she lost her faith and turned away from the church because she was apparently had started her own school and was very successful as a teacher, but you could not, continue in that role if you were not a good Christian woman and that this so again her her criticalness of other um, feminists and suffragists and her um, secularism really drove her kind of out of the out of the mainstream um, so she held so many roles in the suffrage movement that they are way too numerous to name she was the first woman to be a paid employee of a suffrage organization which is pretty cool as a um, a nonprofit employee myself. She's a foremother of that. She had, um, as I mentioned, she had a lifelong companion named Ben, and they had a child together. Um, they did have a commitment ceremony, but that was absolutely not good enough in the eyes of most people that she interacted with, and it really caused her to kind of run afoul of the movement. People felt like she had brought shame to the suffrage movement um, and totally rejected her as a result of that. Um, and Although she was so critical, many of her colleagues, Ben um, was apparently not a very good businessman and had a business that didn't didn't um, succeed. And so she ended up not only working um, as an employee and volunteer f- for all of her various feminist and suffrage related causes, but she also worked 50 hours a week in his um, mill. I, I think he made some sort of fabric or clothing, um, plus being a wife and mother and housekeeper. So she pretty much just worked like 24 hours a day well into her old age. And it was, in fact, um, and, you know, her family didn't have any didn't have any money. She was really estranged from her own, um, from her father's family, and then her husband's business was failing. And her Despite being kind of ostracized for the movement, her colleagues established a voluntary fund called the Grateful Fund um, that kept her from dying in poverty at the end of her life because they recognized how 
much she had actually sacrificed and given to their movement, despite the fact that they personally were, you know, kind of had separated from her. So I think that that's really a nice example of women looking out for each other despite not having, you know, maybe not seeing eye to eye on everything. I also think that sometimes, um, depending on how you're raised or just what your comfort level is, you don't always know what part you're going to play um, in a movement. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to meet people where they are. So not everyone's going to be the type of person who's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to this protest. I'm going to rally. But what can we do if you're not that person? What can we do to make sure that we support the folks who will do that? I mean, can you can you get the help them with that ticket to get to the rally? Right. Can you can you feed them on their way to the rally? Can you load them up with bottled water as a backpack? What can you do? Um, you know, finding mm-hmm. meeting not just meeting people where they are, um, but just you need an entire network of support and just realizing that you can support support people in different ways. Absolutely, and as you were saying, you can be a social justice warrior. From you don't necessarily have to be like on the front lines with a sign in your hand. You can from wherever you are functioning as a human being. Yep. You can function in a way that is an emancipatory action. Absolutely, and also making sure that for folks who aren't as comfortable on the front lines, making sure that we support them and that we're not uh, discounting the role and what they bring to the table. Definitely. Well, the last thing I will say about Elizabeth is that um, although she the end of her life was hard. She died days um, after women were granted the right to vote in England. So that story, I mean, she set out, she accomplished what she set out to accomplish in her Wonderful. life. So that's, um, so I don't know. I, I just thought this, that she was an example of someone who really felt how she felt, believed what she believed, um, walked the walk, even though it, really had some pretty serious negative consequences for her in her life. And I think if she could do that in the 1850s, um, I think that we can draw some strength and some inspiration from that. So thank you, Elizabeth Wollstenholm Elmy. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah. We've covered a lot of ground. I think we've solved most of the world's problems. Yeah. Not all of them. 95% of them. 95%. Um, in 2019, I think we should go for 100, solve all the problems, how are we going to do that? What do you think? This will be the first the first episode <clears throat> of Feminist Hot Dog, released in twenty nineteen. Wowzers! Are you someone? Do you make resolutions? Um, I think I used to, and then I think like in my forties. I mean, twenties. I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to try to live my best life every single day, um, and not set unreasonable expectations. Like I'm going to be non-dairy in in that last like 10 days that never works (laughs) and and cheese is delicious um so i just think every day wake up with a positive attitude and do the best and if you falter guess what you can start again the next day and that's one thing that i struggle with because i find that if i set any kind of intention formally like in a resolution and i fuck it up i'm like oh well that's totally (laughs) fucked i guess i'll have to wait until next year year. (laughs) (laughs) which is not a great path toward self-improvement so (laughs) i agree i think just you know we don't know what we need to do to be a little bit better i at one point i just started telling myself just be like 10 percent better just like whatever you're doing just be like a little bit better, focus a little bit more, do that chore a little bit longer, yep. be a little bit nicer than you want to be. Just like dial it up 
a little bit and that's good enough. And that actually worked quite well for me. Yes. Um, I do remember one resolution being like, I really need, well, obviously we all need more work-life balance. Um, but also I was like, I want, I don't want to spend weekends cleaning all the time. Mm-hmm. So we set a timer. Um, these are all the exciting things that happen when you've been married a decade. Uh, we set, this is like our foreplay. We set a timer <laughs> and we clean like crazy one room at a time. So we might do that a couple times a week, but it really works because like, dude, 15 minutes, you can, you can last 15 minutes. So you, you can at least 15, get all the visible dirt. You can get all the visible dirt. You can get all the clothes from the bedroom into the hamper. You can make up the bed. You can even change the sheets if you need to. Um, and it gets you through like, it gets you through most podcasts, even though I've like been here for a long time. But um, yeah, 15 minutes. So I feel like just having goals that I can really, um, well, it's nice. It's nice to have goals that I can really accomplish mm-hmm. instead of, um, you know, like this is what I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to win a James Beard Award. Uh, <laughs> like, you know what? Maybe I'll just like get my shopping done for the shop, like on Tuesdays and I'm just that's step to one that. towards yes. the James Beard Award that's right James can you hear me okay you've been gone for a while but your people can your people hear me James Beard baby um yeah small small bites and um also cutting yourself some slack if it doesn't get done it just doesn't get done it's not the end of the world and it doesn't mean it won't get done tomorrow or the next week or the next month. And something that you and I were just talking about too is how the, I mean, there's this perception at least, and I, I do feel it to an extent, that of this deterioration of our social interactions with people that we don't necessarily know in our, in our day-to-day lives and how important it is that we fucking get our shit together and, and turn that around. Like the quality of these just day-to-day conversations, seeing the humanity in other people. Yes, and putting yourself in situations that you, you know, not necessarily, they don't have to be uncomfortable, but just different situations. Um, We've been to a few weddings lately, and I think it's beautiful that folks have known each other for a really long time, but you have a lot of people in the the wedding party, and they're just like, we've been friends since preschool, and that's great, but guess what, y'all? There are really interesting people that you can meet in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s if you're open Mm -hmm. to it. So I would really like to... Uh, challenge myself to get outside of my comfort zone. Um, There are, we have what, just over a quarter million people in Montgomery. Oftentimes people are like, it's small. There's nothing to do here. Have you met all quarter million people? No, you haven't. Get out there, meet them. Uh, Let's bridge some, let's uh, bridge some, some gaps. Let's um, bridge some gaps and build some bridges. Amen. Hey man, sister. I'm down with that as a resolution. I'll make that a, a, that's a real resolution. Let's I do would, it. I could do that. Let's do it. Um, anything else? Any other wishes, hopes, desires for, for 2019 before my computer dies? Um, <laughs> have we been talking that long? <laughs> wishes. Uh, um, speak it. Speak it into existence. Peace. Oh. Understanding. Yes. Patience. Patience. Reflection. Uh, love. Amen to love. Radical love. 
radical love. I've been thinking a lot about how we tend to just slap the word radical on everything and suddenly it's like a thing. Radical love, radical, radical friendship, love. radical honesty. Radical deliciousness. How about, yeah, well, how about just regular, how about just love, like, on a day-to-day basis, like, wherever you go, warmth and love is, like, pouring out of you and other people, to the point that other people can feel it. Not, not, I'm not saying that that should be an expectation for everyone, because maybe you're just not in a loving mood, and that's fine. You got stuff going on, but if you've got it to give, fucking give it. The world needs it right now. Yeah. So bad. I agree. And it it is kind of a radical thing to do in this day and age. I love you. Davina, I love you too. (laughs) I think that's the perfect place for us to draw our epic podcast session to a close. Do you agree? Absolutely. This has been Feminist Hot Dog, y'all. I'm here with the fabulous Davina. Don't be, hashtag don't be afraid of deliciousness. And our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. Y'all, I love this music. It is amazing. Isn't I it listen. great? It is fabulous. I love it too. Um, thanks so much for listening. Love yourself. Love your buns. Goodbye. Take care, y'all.